Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 235, Always Check Your Socks for Snakes, Sunday, November 17th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. The funds to keep this podcast going come from sales of my knitting designs on Ravelry. So if you'd like to show your support, you can head over and take a look at the patterns that are available there. This week's episode includes the following segments. Lots of news and updates regarding our make-along and giveaway, the back porch, the front porch, yarn lover at large, and a very brief off-the-shelf. Today's episode goes out to Paula, our dear Paula from Knitting Pipeline. I'm sure that my listeners join me in sending all of the well wishes and positive energy that we possibly can to you at this time. And we love and support you from afar and wish you and your family lots of strength. It's giveaway time. Lovely and generous listener Annette, who is read or knit on Ravelry, offered up three copies of the Forest Floor Socks to listeners of the podcast. The prompt to enter for the prize was to let us know what you will be reading or knitting in the upcoming weeks. And we had a really great array of contributions. I have selected three winners and here they are. So Run It, who is Suzanne from Newburgh, Indiana. Suzanne posted that she has been listening to a podcast from Wool Pierogi about books and reading and up next in her reading queue is Pie in the Sky. I think it's a middle grades or young adult book and looks like it has a fun food theme. Next winner is Selket, who is Maya. Maya purchased Peace Fleece during her recent trip to Rhinebeck and she is going to knit the Goat Herder Pullover for her husband. This is a very handsome sweater and I can't wait to see Maya's progress on it. And finally, Try Linda from Feasterville, Pennsylvania is going to be knitting Coral Tides by Anne Beattie. Thank you so much to everyone who entered and shared your upcoming projects and reads and congratulations to our three winners. I will be letting Annette know your Ravelry information, and she will gift you that pattern in the coming days. The Home Deck Make Along began officially on November 1st, and there has been quite a bit of participation and conversation on our thread in Ravelry, and I thought I'd take this opportunity to share some of the projects that folks are working on or planning to work on. And hopefully if you haven't joined in yet, you will think about doing so. This knit along, no, this make along, make along runs through the end of December and you are invited to craft with the fiber arts, any of the fiber arts to make something for your home or make something that could be a gift for someone else's home. And there's even a little bit of a twist on it um, from one of our participants that I'll tell you about in a moment. So here are some of the things that are happening right now. Um, Out of This World has crocheted, we have not seen a photo of it yet, but she has crocheted a porch rug with two-inch fabric scraps from a cushion project that she did and she had lots and lots of leftover yardage since she had bought a bolt of this fabric and I am really eager to see how that turned out because I think that's an interesting way of using up scraps. Salmon Knits is considering either a cat bed 
or more like a cat pillow for her cat, Sydney, using Lopey leftovers since Sydney was often found lying near or on her sweater project while she was making it. And then in a later post, Jenny wrote that she is also working um, in collaboration with a colleague at the library where they work uh, to crochet a garland for a quiet zen-like study corner for students to kind of de-stress during finals time. Isn't that lovely? So I think that's like a neat take on home, like your home away from home could be something like a library. And she's working on that with a friend. Northern Flicker is deliberating, I think, whether to knit a cat bed or a cat pillow. There's been some great discussion about potential uh, projects or patterns to use for something for cats. Studio Noodling is looking into crochet baskets and the pattern she mentioned is by Amy. It's called the Waistcoat Basket. It's knit with uh, really, really thick or held multiple times yarn and a smaller crochet hook so that you get like a really tight crochet stitch and a basket that really holds up. The ones in this pattern, the photographs in the pattern are absolutely gorgeous. So I look forward to seeing more of that. Mama Cat is thinking about basketry and Old Gray Egg. It's worth heading over to this Ravelry thread to see some of Greg's projects. He's doing an amazing filet crochet window panel. I think he said it's 11 feet wide. It has a forest scene on it. It looks absolutely painstaking and exquisite to do. And uh, the photographs of this and other finished projects that he posted are just wonderful. So take a look and consider joining us. We are using hashtag home deck M-A-L, that's H-O-M-E-D-E-C-M-A-L, to post photographs of our progress on Instagram. And I'd love to have you join us. For my own part, I have finished a collection of knit pumpkins by Stacy Leakfelt. These are just really adorable pumpkins knitted up in a couple different variations. She has a cable on one. And kind of once you get the hang of it, you could go off on your own a little bit in terms of your designs. I decided to use up scraps of hand-spun, hand-dyed yarn that has been left over from a number of things, one of them being my Shetland dress that I knit for Rhinebeck several years ago. So I've had these scraps kind of kicking around in my stash, and they're the kind of thing that I would never discard because I spent so long spinning and then dyeing the yarn. Not all of the yarn was orange in color, so I took some liberties in terms of pumpkin coloration, holding several strands together at the same time, and then you just break off sticks and hot glue them in for the stem, and then some wonderful little, um, I don't know, I unply pieces of yarn and then tie them around the stem to make a little bit of a leafy approximation, I guess. I don't know. These pumpkins are a lot of fun. They're currently filling up uh, the centerpiece on my dining room table. I have a candle and some other things there, and it's sort of like a beautiful fall montage. So that has been fun to do, and I've exhausted all of that scrap yarn. So I think I'm done knitting pumpkins and moving on to mushrooms. I was gifted the foraged pattern by Hunter Hammerson by Fernanda, who gave me a gift of a pattern for her birthday. Wasn't that nice? And I've been interested in this pattern because I've seen all the photographs on Instagram. There are a lot of shaping options, and she gives very detailed information about how to 
put heavy weights or even magnets into the stem if you want it to stand up. I'm not sure if these will be the standing kind of pumpkins or what I, not pumpkins, mushrooms, or what I will do with them, but I was thinking maybe some of them could be Christmas tree decorations, but it looks really cool the way she puts a magnet in the bottom and then you can sort of create a little mushroom terrain out of them. I don't know. And that's also a great project for scrap yarn. And I am working on a linen stitch table runner. I got this started and then didn't do much in the way of progress, but I'm using, what am I using? Let me see if I can find this real quick. I'm using some yarn from Stash. It's the Muckle Marl Aran Weight Yarn from Starcroft that I purchased last year when I visited Clementine in Maine. And I haven't done anything with this beautiful marled yarn in natural colors. And I thought it would make a really cool table runner or table mat. So I started just using a linen stitch, which is nice because it lies flat and maybe misguided because it does take up a lot of yarn. And I only have one skein of this. And I'm wondering if I'll come out with something that's really suitable for a centerpiece or something that's more like a placemat. But I'm just going to go with it. It's a very rhythmic kind of stitch. And I think when things calm down a bit around here, I will get into it a little more. I'd like to finish it by the end of this make along. Once again, the patterns that I mentioned in this segment are Knit Pumpkins by Stacy Leakfeld and Foraged by Hunter Hammerson. The Back Porch. There have been some exciting finishes recently, and I'd like to start this segment off with a note to some of my family members. If you will be receiving gifts from me this holiday season, you might want to skip ahead so you can listen and ruin the surprise, or you can jump ahead because I'm going to talk about something that I made for you. The first thing is that I finished a set of three hand-spun, hand-knit socks. This is using the three-ply, two-ways concept of Joanna from Knit Spin Farm. I completed the spinning this summer during Tour de Fleece, and the yarn was just waiting to be knit into socks. I ended up taking quite a bit of time figuring out what gauge uh, and what stitch count would work best and settled on U.S. size 1 needles and 48 stitches. The reason for this is that my sock yarn is more like a sport weight yarn, and uh, everything else was just coming out way too big. So I alternated three-ply, traditional three-ply, with a... um, chain plied three ply and knit five rounds of each throughout the sock. I made the first sock, I made a second sock, and then I weighed each of those socks and found out that I had enough yarn for one more sock. So I thought, why not make a third sock? None of them match anyway. And making that third sock really pulled this project together for me. I felt really good about using up all of the yarn. I think the quirkiness of the mismatched socks was just, it was amplified and at the same time it was sort of neutralized by having three of them. And I had a really fun time working on these. They are just plain stockinette socks, knit cuff down, uh, gusset on the side of the sock, like heel flap gusset, um, very traditional. The only special touch I added was to put in a one-by-one rib 
under the arch of the foot, which is kind of a signature sock move of mine. And my mother really enjoys this because it helps the sock stay snug on her feet and sort of energize her feet over the course of the day. So it's an addition that I always like to put in socks that I make for her. And I couldn't think of a more deserving recipient for these special socks than my mom. The only thing is she will need to remember to hand wash them because they do they are not superwash merino nylon socks. They're a blend with bamboo, which I think will hold up very nicely, uh, but they should not be plunked into the washing machine. And one of the socks has an especially Christmassy look because the predominant colors are reds, pinks, and greens. And then the other two socks are a little more like fall colors, lots of orangey reds and different purples. They're just so much fun. So I have photographs of the completed socks on my Ravelry page. And I thank Joanna Spring again for her inspiration and her... um, instructions that she provided in the sock issue of Ply Magazine. So if you're thinking that this is an intriguing project, I encourage you to check out the sock issue of Ply because Joanna has a really great uh, article in there. The second gift I have finished is a woven Mobius scarf. I had intended to take a class on this, but Um, School obligations prevented me from attending, and Hope of Hope's Favorite Things was kind enough to give me a little bit of tutoring, and Elise um, was kind enough to send me some of the directions for uh, putting the warp on my loom and getting started with the weaving. So this Mobius uh, scarf is a great pattern for scraps of yarn and incorporating different kinds of yarn. Elise suggests a Sayori-type method for both the warping and the weaving so that you get different colors and textures. It's It's a really therapeutic kind of method of weaving. And so I assembled some hand-spun yarn and some different scraps in very muted colors and employed some fuzzy textures. And um, I wove about 60-some inches. And then there's this very special technique of bringing the initial warp, which you advance quite a bit, around to the end and then weaving the ends together so that you get this V-shaped section in the front and then fringe hangs down from both sides of that V-point. Hope showed me how to hand twist the fringe of this scarf, which I have never done before and was a really interesting process. It's a teeny bit wonky where I put this together, but I think with blocking and a little steaming, it relaxed enough so that I feel confident about giving it as a gift. It's meant to be looped twice around the neck, so it hangs just where you need it for some nice warmth And, you know, you can see it beautifully inside your coat. And I'm really looking forward to giving this as a gift to my sister, Laura. The last gift that I'm working on for my sister, Jessica, is a pair of leg warmers by her request. Something that sort of goes over, like under the boot and up to the knee. And I'm using some beautiful yarn from Knitspin Farm, some of her self-striping gourd. I'm so glad I'm a knitter. This is in her Coriadale nylon sock base, and I like it not quite as much as the Tarhi, but it's still a lot of fun to knit with. And what I really love about this gourd 
uh, colorway is the color is not consistent. It has like this really subtle muted variations throughout the stripe and I love it. I can't remember if I maybe purchased a skein that she had marked as not consistent. Um, because it, I didn't know it would be like that from the photographs. And I really, really, really love the way it's knitting up. The colors are muted. They're all based on different kinds of squashes. And uh, knitting with the stripes is a lot of fun. So those are still in progress. And I am designing them as I go because Jessica gave me her um, measurements at ankle and um, just under her knee so that I can adjust them as I go. So that's not really the back porch, but those are three knitting projects, fiber projects for three very important people on my gift giving list. The other finished project is Ursa. I knit a second Ursa sweater this is the crop sweater that everybody knows about um, with some half brioche detailing. It seems like it's just flattering on every figure and super fast and fun to knit. Mine was not quite so fast because I was not using the bulky yarn that was called for. I was using my Hog Island hand spun indigo dyed uh, yarn from a little fleece that I bought at Maryland Sheep and Wool and split with my friend Emily a few years back. And it was kind of like a homecoming. Actually, Emily brought this up the other weekend. The sheep was raised in Maryland by Lydia Chamelin. And of course, I purchased my fiber at Maryland Sheep and Wool and then I dyed that yarn when I visited Emily last summer. We had an indigo dyeing party. And then I just ended up finishing the sweater when I was on our little retreat near Leesburg, Virginia. So it kind of had a homecoming and I was knitting furiously on the sleeves to finish the sweater. And I really liked the way it came out. I used a worsted weight yarn, maybe a Aran weight yarn, and U.S. size nine needles to knit this sweater. And I just jumped up a few sizes because I was not getting the same gauge as I did on my first Ursa and just needed to add to the stitch count, essentially. And then I also needed to add rounds and rows because the fabric did not build as quickly as you would if you were knitting with a very chunky yarn that's recommended. So it took more knitting um, and quite a few more stitches. And I did the same as I did in my first Ursa, uh, which is I chose to do the bust darts for a couple sizes larger than my actual size because with a short row gauge, that fabric doesn't really build very much. So if you use the larger size, you sort of compensate for that. And let's see. In my first Ursa, I added half brioche stitch detailing on the sleeves as well, and I really like the effect of that. But I was just sort of barreling toward the finish and doing a lot of this knitting while I was chatting with my friends. So I just stayed with the stockinette stitch, did some decreases to taper the sleeve a little bit, and then bound off. And I used up most of this yarn. So I was very pleased with that. And it's a lot of fun to wear. And with the blue color, it will go with a lot of pieces in my wardrobe. I've already worn it to work over my metamorphic dress. And I think I will get a lot of use out of this. And the yarn has finally come to rest in the design it was meant for. So that feels really, really good. On the front porch is Hildemore. I've been talking obsessively about this pattern. 
And I finally got started. After recording my last episode, I was contacted by Lisa of Fiber Nymph Dye Works, and she had a skein of Blacker Yarns Tour in the undyed Sheepster colorway. She was willing to part with it, and so I had the three skeins necessary to work on this design for a vest by Yuko Shimizu. What I can say categorically, having now worked on two patterns by Yuko Shimizu, is she builds a lot of fun and cleverness into her designs. I have knit Morning Fog, and that's when I discovered this pattern just by kind of looking for her stuff. I had so much fun knitting that. It was simple, but not boring. And that's the same thing I'm finding with this vest. There are some really cool techniques already that I've encountered for making I-cord and then blending it seamlessly into the front panel of this vest. And now I am working on a V neckline and the left shoulder of the vest. And there's just interesting, not complicated, but just clever and interesting detailing. And it's knitting up beautifully in the tour. This is a really great yarn. So if you have some in your stash and you're not using it, take a look and reconsider what you could make with this yarn because it's just really beautiful. Um, Hildemore is a vest that's knit flat and it buttons on the side. So it's definitely a layering piece meant to be worn over other things. It has I-cord ties that go around the back. There is a deep V neckline with some garter stitch texturing. There's also texture at the shoulders. I haven't gotten to that yet. And then, most exciting of all, is that in the back, there is a section of smocking detail, which I have never done before, but will look it looks so interesting and fun to do. And I have seen this. I found out whose sweater I saw at Rhinebeck. She was deeply engaged in conversation. So I just sort of walked by and stared because I knew it was the Hildemore. But my friend Allison later told me that I saw Maya Skylark wearing this sweater, and I have since seen her um, beautiful photographs of it on Instagram and became just even more convinced that this was the thing to knit. So I hope to finish this quite soon, actually, and start reading my button box to see if I can find the perfect buttons for this sweater. Oh, it also has a charming pocket on the front. I forgot about that. I don't think Maya put one on hers. I don't think she has a pocket. But the pocket looks great, and if I have enough yarn, I will certainly be adding that detail to the sweater. Once again, this is Hildemore by Yuko Shimizu, and I'm knitting in Blacker Yarns Tour. Yarn lover at large. Over the past few weeks, I've had the opportunity to do several fibery fun things. The first is a visit to Middlebrook Fiberworks, which is Ann Choi's farm in Bedminster, New Jersey. And Ann Choi has really beautiful, friendly as anything, Shetland sheep. And she makes yarn using blends of Shetland and other fibers. You may have seen her at Maryland Sheep and Wool or perhaps at India Untangled. She had a booth there and uh, has really special yarns. So my mom and I headed down for a day on her farm and I thought I would be helping with some tasks like uh, holding on to her sheep while she did some hoof cleaning and trimming, but Anne had her shearer coming very soon. And so she had some other concerns about what would happen when she separated her lambs from their moms. 
And she's also had some challenges recently with a predator on her property. So we helped her with a gate for one of her sheds for the sheep. And it was a beautiful, blustery day. We got in lots of Shetland scratches and kisses. My favorite of her sheep is a sheep named Moon who kept coming over and imploring me with her eyes to give a little scratch under the chin. Uh, So we had a lot of fun and fed us well, and we really enjoyed ourselves on the farm. And I would like to promote an event. Anne is involved in the New Jersey Fiber Shed program and is working tirelessly to promote it. They're having a fiber shed farm market on December 1st from 10 to 4 at her farm. I will provide links for additional information and you should follow Ann Choi on Instagram because she will be posting more information about that coming up. There is also a member reception for New Jersey Fiber Shed members from 5 to 6 that evening followed by a seminar on biosecurity from 6 to 8. And pre-registration for that needs to happen now. So if you are keeping flocks in New Jersey and you would like access to this seminar and information, you should definitely follow the contact information and sign yourself up so that you can participate. This past weekend, I joined my podcasting friends, Emily and Sarah, for a little getaway near Leesburg, Virginia. We had a beautiful farm property with a lovely pond, lots and lots of bird life to watch from the window. We mostly watched from the window because it was a bitter, brutally cold weekend, even as far south as Virginia. And we did a lot of chatting and crafting. We ate amazing food and even had a little excursion into Leesburg where we visited Finch Fiber Studio. It's a beautiful shop. Oh my goodness. So charming. So lovely. Great staff. Nice big cutting table right in the front. And that seems to be where folks gather around to chat And we each found some beautiful things. One thing that attracted us as almost as soon as we started browsing in the shop was some beautiful Italian wool fabric with a kind of felted floral motif on the front of it. And Sarah suggested that it would be really great for stitching on. And so we each bought just a short panel of it to use as a scarf. This fabric is just unique and interesting in that when you cut it, it doesn't really roll and it doesn't fray. So it's ideal for a scarf. And then I bought some coordinating thread to do a little bit of a running stitch around some of the motifs and also a few beautiful buttons that were on display in the shop to place in the center of a few of the floral motifs on the scarf. So that will be kind of an ongoing stitching project. Um, I don't know, has Sarah posted to Instagram? Sarah's going gangbusters on hers. Her stitching and her handwork is just so beautiful. Mine is much more crude, and I will focus more on the... Alabama Channon style, just running stitch to outline things. Uh, But nevertheless, it's something I can pick up and work on periodically and then also wear in between uh, while it's in a half finished state. Uh, Since then, it seems like this type of fabric is showing up everywhere in independent um, sewing shops. I just saw something very similar to what I purchased in the newsletter for the Confidence Stitch out in Montana. So I think it's the kind of thing that's going to end up being very, very popular. 
Another piece of fabric that I purchased is a beautiful blue sweatshirt kind of knit. And I plan to use that to make a Mandy Boat tee with longer sleeves and probably a longer adjusted body length as well that I can use as like a cozy around the house sort of sweatshirt. I have a few of these commercially made type garments that are old and starting to wear thin and fall apart. And so I need to start replacing these things in my wardrobe with handmade things. And this will be the perfect quick project. I think I'm going to save it for my first snow day and use that as a cozy snow day project. So that fabric is just kind of waiting in the wings. We went from there to enjoy a really nice lunch at the wine kitchen and a little bit of shopping around town, a beautiful drive through some Virginia countryside, a stop at a brewery, and then we spent a day cozied up in the Airbnb we rented, and Emily was so generous as to lead Sarah and I through the beginning steps of jeans making. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may recall that when I first received my sewing machine as a Christmas gift, I had kind of a five-year plan for a mostly handmade wardrobe. And the pinnacle of that making was jeans making, to my mind, that I thought I would approach in year five. I think it's been about seven years, <laughs> and I have yet to tackle jeans making. I thought I would also make trousers, haven't. Uh, I did have some success with Cal Patch's um, pants, uh, self-drafted pants pattern, but that is super simple with an elastic waist. It doesn't have a fly or you know any of those details of typical trousers or jeans. So I haven't made much progress on that front until this past weekend. I had my supplies assembled. Emily heavily recommended the ginger jeans, which need to be sewn with a stretch denim fabric. And I found some beautiful black denim fabric, 11 ounces, and a kit with all of the rivets and things like that. And um, came to the getaway with my pattern cut out. What I didn't realize, because I was very much focused on the leg shape and I knew I didn't want a skinny jean, I ended up cutting the pattern for the low rise version, which is fine. I just didn't realize that I was doing that at the time. So much to learn with jeans making, so much to learn. Um, but with Emily's oversight, I successfully cut out the jeans pattern and pockets and assembled the front of the jean where, you know, all the business is happening. The pockets go in, the fly is created, the zipper's installed, and then you have this magical moment where you cut open uh, or use a seam ripper to cut some base stitching that you've done and you reveal the zipper and the fly. It's so cool. So that was magical. And then I was able to get progress far enough so that I could baste together the inseam and side seam, no waistband added yet, but baste that together enough to put it on and see if I was in the ballpark in terms of fit. And I am. I think it was, you know, very decent fitting for just basting it together and I can assess from there how I might want to adjust with my um, the width of my seams to get an even better fit. And the fact that this fabric is stretch fabric, 
I think makes it very forgiving. And Emily was super wise to um, recommend the ginger jeans with a stretch fabric for a first pair of jeans. So Sarah and I, we were just so blessed to have Emily. Uh, We had multiple machines. We had a serger. We had our top stitching thread. Um, Emily just had so much foresight in providing denim needle, um, which I had not had the presence of mind to bring along, and just calmly kept us each going at our own pace and referenced a really great sew along with photographs and you know, more tutorial information as needed. When we would run into something, she'd say, let's consult the tutorial and we'd look at it together. So she was an excellent teacher, um, the best kind because she shared her wisdom, but allowed us each to kind of keep going with our own making personalities. There's kind of like a zone you get into as a maker and a set of habits that you have as a maker when you've been doing it for a while. And she let us stick with those and then just shared tips, advice along the way. And some things were very proactive as well. So that was just so wonderful. Of course, I got home and all I want to do is work on these jeans, but I really need to kind of clear space in my mind and my life to be able to devote to this. I think the next step will be working on the pockets because one cool thing about making your own jeans is you get to decide what the design will look like on the back pockets. And I came up with something that I like a lot. I might do a little bit of tweaking and um, I'm thinking about hand stitching that using the top stitching thread onto those pockets. So they're coming. Jeans are coming. This is the Ginger Jeans design by Closet Case, I think, I hope. And I will link to it in the show notes. At the very end of our time together, the weather had warmed up considerably and we found a nice sunny spot to take a few photos of three of four Lovage sweaters. Unfortunately, Corinne is very, very busy with the woolly thistle and could not join us for our getaway, Uh, but we channeled lots of positive energy her way, and we very much enjoyed getting all three Lovage sweaters together for a photograph. I know that Yell represents more of a knitting challenge, and feeling of success in terms of design, but Lovage really has my heart in terms of Marie Wallen's designs. It's so beautiful. It's really a lot of fun to see different takes on the same design and the way different colors make the motifs stand out or recede. And I think our photographs of the three of us wearing our sweaters are just so beautiful. I've already posted them, I think one at least on Instagram, and I will include another in this episode. And that is Lovage, designed by Marie Wallen. And taking a really beautiful friend's photo was the perfect ending to this weekend together. For Off the Shelf, I'm going to share a What We Thought card that came with the little taste of Pinot Noir I ordered at the Wine Kitchen in Leesburg, Virginia. Sarah, Emily, and I enjoyed a really beautiful lunch there. They have an amazing selection of wines, and each glass or taste that you order comes with a what we thought description. In my mind, it reads like poetry. And I thought you would really enjoy this. So this is Eola Hills Pinot Noir from Rick Real, Oregon, 2016. 
and here's what the wine kitchen thinks. Like a snake in a cashmere sock, a wine of plush, decadent outer layers of peach and fresh strawberry with a muscled interior vanilla and biting acidity. The softness of flowers and sweetness of just-picked fruit cover the wine's writhing flavors of cranberry and a hint of dark chocolate pulsing with energy. Warm exterior flavors and a cold heart of dark red fruit are almost deadly in their fiendish combination. A finish that snaps back with fangs dripping with acidity and freshness. Two cardinal rules. Always check your sock for snakes and always drink Pinot Noir. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week full of the crafting you enjoy. Talk to you next time. Bye.